Welcome back to episode number 208 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about how to become a certified safety professional, a CSP. We're doing that with Leslie Stockel. Leslie has a Bachelor in Fire Protection and Safety Engineering Technology at Oklahoma State, a Master's in Engineering Technology Management, and is currently enrolled in the PhD program in Technical Communications at Texas Tech University. She's a certified safety professional with over 30 years experience, an assistant professor at Oklahoma State University. And most importantly for this discussion, she is the president of the Board of Certified Safety Professionals, the BCSP. Leslie, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Thank you, Chris. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. That was a great introduction. So the Board of Certified Safety Professionals is a nonprofit organization, and we are a certification body. We are not a membership association or a, you know, a membership group so like some of the other uh, safety organizations that you may be familiar with and you may have discussed on your podcast in the past. We were founded in 1969 by a group of safety professionals who wanted to have um, an industry standard certification you know, for people working in the industry. Our headquarters are in Indianapolis, Indiana. We have a staff there uh, of about 60 people, including our customer service office, our examinations department, and then they're led by our our chief executive officer, a lady by the name of Christy Uden. And then the organization itself is governed by a board of directors. And these are safety professionals, people who work in the industry, people who hold the certification And our role is to provide governance and oversight for the nonprofit to make sure that, you know, that the funds are being managed in a fiduciary responsibly, a responsible way, and then also guide and direct the certifications that the organization offers. We currently have 12 members on the board, all highly credentialed, highly experienced and accomplished safety professionals in the industry. And then we also have what we call two public board members on our board. And these are people who have nothing to do with the safety profession. And they serve as sort of our, our conscience and make sure that we're, you know, not a think tank or, you know, having suffering from groupthink because we all have the same background and experiences. So we offer a series of different certifications. All of our certifications are accredited by ANSI. And we can talk more about that later if you'd like. But what that means is that, you know, the certification meets a standard of excellence, a standard of credibility that gives it its, you know, its importance in the industry. There's something called the four E's of certification, and that's education, experience, examination, and ethics. And in order to have a certification meet that ANSI requirement, it has to have all four of those components. And all of our certifications have those four components. And I can just interrupt me whenever you feel like you want to interject another question, because I can talk about this for a couple of hours if you'd like. (laughs) Well, it's exciting stuff. And I mean, it's it's important. I like the the background, you know, 19... 69, I think you said that was really put together by the industry as something that was lacking and needed in terms of having a structured way to identify who has the education, the experience, the the knowledge to be able to to apply these type of principles in practice. So it's really important. It's it's good that it's built up that way. It's it's good to know that's sort of a nonprofit with the support of directors and that you're taking extra measures like having outside scope and people coming in from the outside and and sort of double checking the the direction and the progress of the work. And I must say, when I went on the website and looked through, and I was looking for a certified safety professional, but I didn't realize the 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 breadth of options that are there um, from you know an associate safety associate safety professional to safety management specialist to an occupational hygiene safety technician, um, safety trained supervisor, safety trained supervisor in construction, certified instructional trainer. And the only reason I'm sort of lifting, listing those off is there will be people listening to this podcast episode that maybe the certified safety professional doesn't make sense, but some of these other certifications and even designations through BCSP might make sense. Um, they're all laid out there. Just go to get certified, and then you kind of scroll through the the list and get access to them there. What is your role within BCSP today? 
Oh, yes, of course. I think that was your original question. I am currently president of the board of directors. Um, as I said, we have a board of directors and it's uh, right anywhere from nine to 12. We currently have uh, 12. We're all volunteers and we are all nominated and then selected by a nominating committee. And then a board member will serve a three-year term and then is eligible for a second three-year term. So you, you serve a total of six years as a board member. And then uh, every board of directors of any organization needs an executive uh, group, an executive committee. And so I was fortunate and lucky enough to be nominated to be vice president last year in 2021, which then led me to become president of the board for 2022. And then I will serve one more year after my presidential term, which, by the way, ends at the end of this year. So you caught me just in time. That's right. I will serve one year as a past president. And so in total, I will serve six years as a board member and then I will roll off the board. And then, you know, we try to keep the board fresh with new new faces and new thoughts and ideas. And so you serve those two, three year terms for a total of six years and then um, you move on and, and you can still be involved in the organization in other ways. Uh, we have a judiciary committee that hears ethics cases and, you know, for people who possibly make poor decisions. And then, you know, we have to review those cases to to make sure we, you know, are maintaining the high standard of ethics uh, that the certification is known for. I do want to talk about maybe how you got involved BCSP, but the sort of question that comes to my mind sounds very similar to the structure that I would see with, say, Engineers Canada, like those sort of bodies I'm just wondering how much was BSCSP model off those sort of, I don't know who came first really, but you know, is there, is there like kind of a general template that's being applied across these and how many of those, you made a lot of really good points that people stay in for a certain amount of time and they're past members and that. So I was I'm curious, maybe the audience might be curious how much of that is borrowed from other professional designations, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it? Well, I think in the early days, the original ASP, CSP certification process was patterned very much after the the engineering, professional engineering certification and licensure programs, where, you know, when you come out of school with a certain degree, you sit for kind of a fundamentals exam, which would be the ASP exam. And then after you gain the the required years of experience, and for the CSP, the required years of experience is four years, then you would sit for the CSP exam, much like you would sit for the PE exam. So I think in the early days, it was patterned after that. And we've morphed a little bit over the years. Back in the 90s, we instituted what we call qualified academic programs and where we went to colleges and universities and, and said, you know, if your undergraduate or graduate program uh, satisfies the blueprint that we offer for the ASP examination process, then you can be designated as a qualified academic program or a QAP. And then students who graduate with your degree from that program can bypass the ASP examination and achieve a designation called the GSP or graduate safety practitioner. And then at that point, all they need is the four years of experience, and then they can sit for the CSP examination. And so over the years, we've sort of evolved into that model. We currently have about 50 colleges and universities that have QAP programs. And just if I could toot my own horn for a minute, Oklahoma State University was one of the first qualified academic programs because of our ABET accreditation and so we've been doing that for many, many years now. Oh, that's fantastic. And then over the years, we acquired other uh, certifications. We acquired the OHST. And then we realized that there's a need in the marketplace for different levels of certification based on the work that people do. And so from that, you know, the STSC for construction, safety trained supervisor, and then the construction safety and health technician were born, and then also the safety trained supervisor. And so what we kind of have, what we call, I'm sure that you've talked about in your podcast and working active safety professionals know about how important safety culture is in an organization. And so we've kind of modeled our certifications in a way that fit into a safety culture, kind of depending on 
what it is that a person is doing, whether they're a field technician, whether they're a, a, a person who's developing programs or at the, even at the executive level. And so we kind of feel like we have something for everyone. The highest level, of course, is our CSP. That's what we call our gold standard. But if you're someone who does uh, train a lot of training and instruction, then maybe the certified instructional trainer or CIT is the right uh, certification for you. If you're someone who spends a lot of time in the field and you're a technician, then maybe the OHST uh, or the CHST. And I'm starting to sound like alphabet soup. I'm throwing a lot of acronyms around. Uh, but these things are, you know, explained very in very much in detail on on our website with our blueprints. And then, if you are a a new new in the in your career, you know, early young. I don't want to say young person because we actually have many people who come to safety maybe as a second career after the military, or maybe they worked as a a person in in the field for many years and then and got into the role of safety and are looking for certification. So we have other types of designations that we have for those people who are kind of new in their career and just getting started. So we kind of feel like we have something for everyone at all levels of of, an, of a safety culture. And, and you know, some people have multiple, multiple uh, certifications. I myself hold two different certifications. I have the CSP and then also I have the safety management specialist certification. So we like to say that we have a little bit of something for everyone. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. And I did, I've been grabbing a number of resources from the website. Again, it's pretty easy to, to go around. So just go to bcsp.org as a front door. But I did get this BCSP certifications as a, at a glance document. And if you're wondering where all the acronyms is, that's the best one I've seen for that. So you have Certified Safety Professional, CSP, Safety Management Specialist, SMS, Associate Safety Professional, ASP, Graduate Safety Professional, GSP, and a number of others, Safety Trained Supervisor, STS. I was trying to rhyme off the ones that people that we may use in this episode. Right, there are quite a few. One thing that really strikes me as hearing you talk and is actually a gap in in our field, which is your field. <laughs> like safety is safety, but then there's kind of, there's parts of it, right? So we're in the combustible dust safety field. And one of the challenges I've noticed and even that our audience has brought up is there is sort of a lack of pipeline from point A to point B. So point B would be an experienced practitioner at different levels like you're talking about. And point A could be various. It could be university degrees. It could be starting at a, you know, a job with like a, as a government inspector, OSHA inspector or something, and then moving into another role. There's many different point A's like you're saying, but in terms of combustible dust safety, there's not a clear path. And I know this, I mean, I graduated with a higher level degree in, in combustible dust and there just, there was no obvious way to get into the field of say consulting in combustible dust like there's 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 a lack of pipelines in 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 our field <laughs> and then that's one of the things that intrigues me about the certified safety professional how that's grown up over the time is you've really put those pipelines in place for people from where they're starting and then and then also broadening it out and i like that you compared it to you know a, this kind of safety culture model that you need different champions at different levels. You need different levels of expertise, depending on if you're conceptualizing a safety program to uh, designing a safety program to actually implementing or installing or putting in place a safety program to performing maintenance to design the very pointy on the stick technical specifications for installations and stuff. Those are all different levels. It's not likely there's many folks that do all of that. <laughs> so then it's, then it's about how do we provide the different pathways and different pipelines to get people into those roles. And I, I, I like the way that the certified Sage Professionals program works to do that. Before we kind of dive into that certification specifically, and maybe some of the other ones as well, any comments on this, on like the, the pipeline process? Because I, I, to me, it's the, the, the highest level, most intriguing thing when I start looking at this. It's like, it's something that's actually almost missing. And it might be a little more established in process safety as like a general field. But even then, if you dig a deeper into combustible dust safety, could benefit from having more pipeline and more obvious ways for people to develop in this space. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think you've touched on a couple of really important issues there, Chris. And one is the pipeline, the safety professional pipeline actually itself. Uh, we are in a bit of a quandary right now because we're seeing, you know, there's a generation of people that are leaving the workforce through retirement. Of course, the pandemic and just the global labor shortage that we're seeing, you know, worldwide 
is contributing to the problem, but we're actually, you know, having a shortage of qualified safety professionals at all levels, from the technician level all the way up to the management level. And this is something that was predicted back in 2011. NIOSH issued a report that kind of said, you know, we've got this, we've got this group of people with 25, 30 years of experience that are getting ready to leave the workforce. And then we don't have a pipeline big enough to fill the gap. Now, add to that the global pandemic where actually safety professionals became first and foremost because every company that was trying to keep their employees at work looked to their safety professionals to say, how can we how can we get people to come back to work and work safely? So safety professionals have been thrust into the spotlight because of the global pandemic. Now that's kind of separate from you know the process safety dust issue, but that kind of brings up the second point in that you're right, there is a little bit of a gap in that dust, you know, just dust explosions and dust explosion prevention and the systems and processes needed for prevention there's there's not a lot out there. I mean, OSHA's been calling for a regulation on this in the United States for many years, and I'm not even sure it's on their regulatory agenda anymore. And there's not a certification for sure that specially, you know, specifically deals with dust as a separate issue. You know, we touch on both process safety and fire protection in the ASP and CSP examinations. They're listed in the blueprint. And they're listed, uh, you know, there's some of the textbooks and reference manuals that are used for exam development are touch on those two issues. And I think that any, you know, safety professional or process safety engineer that's working in an industry that creates dust is probably attuned to it because of just the experience of explosions that, that you, you know, so so very well document on, on your uh, podcast and also in your annual reports and on your website, which I love, by the way, let me just say, Thank you. I teach process safety and I teach risk control engineering, and we cover both of those topics. So I, I use your information quite a lot. It's it's very excellent. But yeah, there's a gap there. It's interesting, too, because, you know, dust has been exploding for many, many years. <laughs> and we just are just now sort of saying, oh, wait a minute, maybe we should have some more formal things in place uh, to try to protect against it. I will say that, you know, we, you know, we're here to talk about BCSP today, but I want to just make sure we, there are other organizations that offer certifications and there are other organizations that offer accredited certification. So I would encourage anyone who's looking at certification to look at the options and make sure that they understand what it is that they're getting certified in. I know that the um, AICHE has a process safety certification, and then there are other certifications as well. But it's important to make sure you know if it's accredited or not, and so that it's really it's really a good idea if someone's considering, you know, trying to pursue a certification that they do their you know do their homework and find out all about the certification and make sure that it's going to meet what they need it because it, it's a big undertaking. You know, you're going to spend a at least a year studying, and it's going to take a lot of time. It's it's not an easy examination for the ASP or the CSP. And so before you do any certification exam, you want to thoroughly vet it and make sure that it's going to provide you the credential that you that's really going to help help you in your career. I also want to take a minute to talk about the difference between certification and certificate, because... Yep. There's a lot of credential, you know, certifications that follow that 4E model, but then there's also certificates and there's a big difference in those two things. You can take a series of courses at any any type of organization, for example, um, even OSHA education centers, which here at Oklahoma State, we are an actual an OSHA education center. And you can take a series of courses and and when you complete the course, you get a certificate in that course. And when you complete the series of courses, you get a certificate in, you know, occupational safety and health or construction. And there's lots of different organizations that offer what we call certificate programs. And, and I think that those are fine. I think all education is good. And anytime we learn more about any particular topic, that's going to only enhance our abilities and enhance our career. But I just encourage people to know the difference between a certificate program and a certification 
and do your due diligence. Make sure that you really understand where it's coming from and what the requirements are. And because, you know, I think there are also a group of maybe not so, uh, what's the word I want to say? Let's just say groups, organizations that will sell you a certificate. <laughs> if you pay them a certain amount of money, they will sell you a certificate. And, and you just want to be careful and don't waste your money on things that are not going to add value to your to your career. So I kind of got off on a tangent there. I'm sorry. No, it's good. I mean, I pulled a couple of challenges and even a couple of solutions out of there. So, you know, accredited versus non-accredited, certificate versus certification. I did highlight when you said, you know, that BCSP is not a, a membership group. That's not to say that membership groups aren't an excellent source of, of involvement as well, like like American Institute of Chemical Engineers and many others. Like those are things that people should be joining in addition to this type of certification because they're, they're, they're very valuable. And they some of those groups like AICHE have much more, see, I'm not from a process safety background strictly, but we do a lot of kind of shoulder process safety kind of information. But, you know, those groups provide a lot more background on process safety and even on on combustible dust. Um, there's a, a quite a book, good book by CCSP on combustible dust as well. So it's sort of out there, but there's maybe a lack of structure to it. It's kind of like the the resources document. The, the resources are there, but then what order to go do them in? And if I were to tell somebody, like I said, that just finished a, say a master's degree doing combustible dust testing, that what their path is to become a you know, a consultant in the field or a champion in combustible dust in industry, there there is no path. <laughs> they would go learn by their own and and I would try to find them a job working with a consulting company that does that work or a company that might need that space. But there's no obvious sort of this is the path to to get to that point B. So those are kind of a couple of things that came to mind. You mentioned the shortage. And I think that's a really good point. We'll need safety in the upcoming years as much as we, we always did. Our team did a number of articles there during the pandemic Comparing things like to, you know, the world wars and, and when people came back from that sort of environment and factories started up again, different types of factories. Some factories were very active during the war, but other ones, you know, store started up again. We actually saw a lot of, of grain elevator explosions at that time and other sort of process safety and combustible dust safety incidents occur. And we're wondering as the pandemic unravels as it is at different rates in different parts of the world, hopefully, fingers crossed, what's going to happen when we start bringing workforces back in and that sort of stuff. So we need those safety professionals, which is why having these pipelines in place is really important. I kind of want to circle to, so this, I think the Certified Safety Professional Program, CSP, that's the, the the gold standard of the flagship program. I think that's one kind of makes sense as a starting point for the discussion on how somebody goes about doing that. I think there's some steps along the way. Is am I Would I be right to say that the ASP, the Assistant Associate, uh, Associate, that's the word I'm looking for. Associate safety professional is sort of a stepping stone to to getting your CSP. Is that a, a correct way to say that? Yes, yes, it is. So there's a couple, uh, probably two different paths you can take. If you graduate with a degree from one of those qualified academic programs, upon graduation, you'll get what's called a GSP designation. And then once you get that four years of required experience, then you can sit for the CSP exam and then you can bypass that ASP. Uh, now, that's for someone who graduates from a qualified academic program. The CSP requires a bachelor's degree of some kind. It does not specify what. It doesn't have to be in engineering. It could be really, you know, in, in anything. And and for people who graduate, you know, because a lot of people, you know, sort of safety finds them instead of them finding safety and choosing that. You know, there, there aren't very many people that at 18 years old coming out of high school say, hey, I want to be a safety professional. <laughs> uh, they start on one path and then they discover safety. And so we like to say that safety finds them. And so we have a lot of people who have other bachelor's degrees, but who would who get into safety and learn through experience and they would like to achieve certification. And so for those folks, they can sit for that ASP examination. And then once they, and they can do that just with a bachelor's degree and no experience and then hold the ASP certification and then after they receive that four years of experience, then they can sit for the second exam uh, and the CSP. And so, again, as I said, in the early days, it was patterned after the FEPE process. 
And the ASP was kind of a stepping stone. And once you achieved that CSP designation, you dropped the ASP designation. But after we saw the success of the GSP and the qualified academic programs, we realized, you know, just sitting for the ASP examination by itself is an achievement. And so probably about 10 years ago, we decided to hold the ASP as a standalone certification. And so many people now, once, you know, because when you take that exam, I mean, it's arduous. You you know you've taken a very difficult exam when you've taken, I remember when I took it, oh my gosh, I went, I was young and I, and I drove to where my parents lived and I took it in this back in the day, they didn't have testing centers. You just went and I went to a local college and I took it. And at the end of that day, I went to my parents' house and my mom was trying to talk to me. And um, I was like, mom, just, just don't speak. Don't, don't ask me any questions. Don't talk to me. I need like an hour of just silence because my brain was hurting because the exam was so challenging. It is an accomplishment to achieve the ASP by itself. We decided to let it stand alone as a certification. And so now some people you'll see that they have both the ASP and the CSP. And it's because, you know, they will, because a lot of people will achieve the CSP without having taken the ASP. And our certificate holders wanted to be able to show the world that, hey, you know, that test was hard and I passed it. So it does stand on its own. And then there's also a third path. And that's the what we call the transitional safety practitioner. And that's more of a global type designation. We have, we are growing really fast outside of the United States in the Middle East and the Far East. And so there are a lot of programs and we've partnered with a lot of different organizations. And we, you know, if we can map the blueprint to someone else's program, uh, we will try to do that. And so those people can get what's called the TSP. And then it's kind of works the same as the as the graduate safety practitioner. You can bypass that first level and then go ahead and sit for the CSP once you get the examination. A good example of that is in the military, in the Department of Defense, they have a program called CP12. And it's where federal service employees can, they take a series of uh, safety-related courses it's fairly, it's a fairly robust program, and we were able to map that program to our uh, TSP uh, blueprint, and so they can do that. And that that just helps uh, military service members, you know, when they're coming out of service and looking for, you know, employment in the private sector. It just gives them a pathway so that all of the training that they received while they were, you know, in service is not lost and they don't have to start all over again from the beginning. So those are kind of the pathways to the CSP. You can either, you know, go to a qualified academic program university, or you can get one of those transitional programs, or you can do it the old fashioned way and sit for the ASP and then the C and then everybody has to sit for the CSP exam. So that's kind of how it works. Yeah, and that BCSP at a glance, certifications at a glance document, which again, we'll link to in the show notes at deskdefensescience.com slash 208, just the number 208. We'll take you there and then we'll have the link to to this at a glance. It lays things out in a really nice way. It says minimum education requirement across all the certifications or the, the designations. Work experience required, the pricing for application fee, exam fee, the renewal fee, and any requirements for recertification. And I guess recertification appears to happen on a five-year cycle based on points that you would achieve through different activities. That's a pretty basic description, but that's my understanding of, of how the, the recertification works. So maybe you could expand on that piece a bit for us. Sure, sure. Once you get certified, continuous education and continuous improvement is is part of you know, being a good, uh, strong professional. So on a five-year cycle, we require a certain number of continuing education credits. There's lots of different ways to earn credits. You can uh, just by practicing in the profession, you can earn a, uh, like a one point per year. So on a five-year cycle, you would get five points. You can earn points by being active in association. So you mentioned that before. And we actually partner with just about all of the safety-related associations 
uh, in the United States. I mean, we partner with the American Society for Safety Professionals. We partner with the National Safety Council, the National Fire Protection Association, um, the American Industrial Hygiene Association, and we we have partnership programs with just about every major group. There's also an international group called INCHBO, and I'm going to draw a blank on what that acronym stands for, but it's basically all of the international safety groups come together. We have a representative from BCSP on that council and work with, you know, to have sort of a, a globally harmonized model for the profession we were talking about points, but you can get points by being active in those groups. You can get more points for being a leader in those groups. You can also get points for going to conferences, for teaching courses, for writing published articles. There's lots of different ways. And and these things are outlined on our website as well. Uh, and so over a five-year period, you know, you track your continuing education points and then you can get, you know, when it comes time to re recertify, then you know you submit all your documentation that you've, you know, done all these things, and then you know you get recertified. It's pretty easy. I mean, just you know, you get one point for working, you get one point for being a member of an organization. So there's there's ten points already, and you need twenty five. So it's it's pretty easy to rack up points if you just stay active in your profession and continue to grow and continue to to get education and stay on top of uh, new trends. So it's 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 not that difficult. And and honestly, the idea of having to take the exam again, I think, is enough motivation <laughs> for anybody sure. um, to want to keep their continuing education points up to date. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's just there really to ensure that people are staying. The only time it may become a challenge is if you leave the profession. So then you you don't have those 10 points because you're not doing that work. And then you'd need to get extra exposure, you know, by by keeping yourself up to date in order to come back in later. Right. There is a couple other ways. So if you get a second accredited certification, you can get all 25 points in a cycle. If you get an advanced degree, you can get all 25 points in that cycle. And so there are other ways. If you do go inactive, we do, and, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, because I really encourage anybody to contact customer service before they make these decisions. If you go inactive for, for a specified reason like military service or you know something else, you can get some waivers. And then, and then we also have an inactive status for retirees where you know, you don't just give up your certification, but you, you know, you have it like, you know, CSP retired or something like yep. that, because we don't, we don't want to lose that knowledge. But we understand that if it's not possible for a person to get the points that they need, because of for whatever reason, I mean, we also are, are developing our own and offering a lot of online options for certification points. We have an app called Research Pro. And then we offer we've offered some online training opportunities. And then, of course, all of the safety organizations, because of the pandemic, you know, everyone is shifting and offering more and more and more things online. So yep. there's a lot more opportunities to to get those certification points, uh, you know, without having to go to a conference, you know, spend a lot of money to go to a conference. But those are always good, too. You know, there's lots of different ways to get those points. And yep. so it's really not that hard to get them once once you kind of are working, you know, and, and active in the profession. So. Well, so I think we covered a lot of the groundwork here. And if I just rattle off the requirements for CSP, I think we've said them a number of times, but I'll say them all in one spot. Education requirement is minimum bachelor's degree in any field. Work experience requirement is at least four years of experience where safety is at least 50% preventative professional level with breadth and depth of safety duties and a BCSP qualified credential. There's the 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 pricing, which is in the hundreds of dollars for applications and exam fees and that sort of stuff. So not, not tremendously expensive. It's really getting the experience. That's the hard part. And then the exam is, like you said, they're uh, range from five hours to five and a half hours. So they're not to be taken lightly. I haven't taken a number of, of five-hour exams myself uh, over the years for different things. Yeah, that's, that's is a lot of work. I think the piece we didn't touch on is, okay, so I got I to gotta get ready to do the exam. Do people generally just read the reference material or do the practice exams or their learning pathways through BCSP or otherwise? Like how does somebody go about getting from the point of wanting to do this to being likely to pass the exam in terms of their knowledge and understanding? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that very few people do go it alone. Probably okay. not, not a good strategy for success. 
There are numerous products out there for exam preparation. And on our website, we actually uh, have a list of some of them. Uh, we also have our own product called Exam Core. Uh, and this is an online exam preparation. I believe we have it now. We launched it just in the time that I've been on the board, uh, probably 2018. And since that time, we've developed programs for all of our certifications. And, you know, it's pretty high quality, but it's not your only opportunity. A lot of the professional associations also have, like, if you're in a local chapter of the American Society of Safety Professionals, a lot of times that organization uh, or the National Safety Council, they'll have local groups that get together and have exam prep courses and study groups. And then there are a couple of training organizations, you know, for-profit training organizations that offer books, offer, you know, live training, offer online training. Uh, there's and, and then there's Quizlets and some apps that you can get. I think that it's been a long time since I sat for the examination and I went to prep courses for both the ASP and the CSP and they they definitely helped tremendously. I also think that setting aside, you know, I think most people set aside about a year uh, to once they get, you know, qualified to take the exam, they set aside about a year to study um, and then use some kind of exam preparation service or application or book or something. I think it would be very difficult, I think, for someone to try to just take the reading list and read all the books, you know, and for especially for the CSP, you know, you've got four years of experience. And so hopefully a lot of it is review because you've been practicing for four years. You should have some frame of reference and context as to the things that you're studying to take the exam. Yeah, and I mean that's really good. My my wife is uh, sitting for the medical boards for pediatrics here up here in Canada in four or five months. But yeah, she's been studying for a year and a half already, <laughs> um, pretty pretty extensively. So yeah, it's a, a lot of work for some of these really high level certifications, yeah. certainly. And you know, you mentioned the fees, uh, so I just wanted to share. A couple of years ago, we did a study of. Other types of certifications in other professions, like professional certifications, and we'd learned that we were fairly on par with the with the annual fees and the examination fees, and so we feel pretty good that you know we're we're in the right space in terms of you know budgeting. Uh, you know we're not too expensive, but yet it's enough that you know it's it's worth it's it's worth the investment. That you could say to to go ahead and get it, and most of the time, I think most employers uh, will actually subsidize it. For most every, most places I've ever worked, have uh, subsidized my certifications, both the application fees and also the annual renewal fees. The last piece is something that I, I marked down here. There may not be a, a, a good answer, but sort of probably the last hard question I have for you, <laughs> and then and then we'll get on to sort of getting close to wrapping up. But you, you mentioned the need for accredited versus non-accredited and certifications versus certificates versus certifications. And you kind of mentioned the word, you know, as a qualified safety professional. And I'm, I'm just curious, and there may not be, like I said, a good answer here, but we have this challenging combustible dust and certainly with pay standards that there is this language around a qualified person and then no real clear definition of of what you would need to be qualified, which is fine. That's not the that's not the question I want you to tackle. <laughs> um, the, the question I want to kind of discuss through with you is: Is there like adoption within governments or associations or local municipalities on you know what having a CSP might be for you, like what you may be qualified to do? I'm wondering if I, I don't know if you want to teach. I think example that maybe might apply is you want to teach OSHA training. Well, then OSHA would say yes if you do this specific designation. I think you guys have one similar to that. Then you'd be allowed to be instructor for OSHA programs. But I'm just curious, like, has that developed over time? Because I'm, I'm wondering as we get down the tracks with combustible dust and even tackle some of these challenges around qualified person and, and, and certified person and what that means, that we may grow into those <laughs> at some point as well. But I'm curious what the history is with CSP there. Yeah. So that's not much of a specific question, but any general comments around that or is it still open? At this point in time, there's no uh, regulatory requirement to be a CSP in order to practice safety. Yeah. It's and that's an, you know we're a certification. It's not a license. That's where we sort of differ from like the PE. You know, PE yeah. 
is a licensure in area region that you're working. Uh, we are not a licensure. Now, I do know that sometimes in contracts for services, uh, you know, if, if company A wants to hire company B and part of the services is going to be related to safety, they will list certification as a, as a preferred, you know, meaning that if you have so many people on your staff that hold XYZ certification, then you have, you know, preferred. And, and you'll also see that on job job descriptions. You know, some some might say CSP required, others might say CSP preferred, or some other, one of the other certifications that we have. I know that uh, you talked about OSHA training. If a person wants to become, you know, in OSHA's outreach, tra- outreach training for programs for general industry and construction, you know, we administer one of those here at Oklahoma State University, and they offer extra points or extra time for someone who holds uh, one of those certifications. So, you know, I think to be an OSHA outreach instructor, you have to have five years of either general industry or construction experience in order to be an instructor, but they will give you two years of credit for holding a certification. So, so there it's, it's a little bit all over the place, depending on where, where you are. But at this point, there's not any regulatory requirements for certification. And we haven't really pursued that aggressively uh, from from the point of BCSP. We monitor it. We we have a regulatory affairs group and they sort of monitor what's happening in the state and local and federal governments. Just because if someone is going to make pass some kind of regulation like that, that affects our certification, we want to have we want to be in on that conversation. But at this point, it, it hasn't really happened. I mean, I would say that. You know, individual organizations have to decide what they want in terms of credentialing and expertise level for the people that they hire. Also, that they contract with. If you're, if you're, you know, on that side of it, and I'm probably not really answering this question very well. You're right that there's not a clear, there's not a clear line uh, between certification and regulation, and I'm not sure that you would want it to be. Because, you know, regulation is always the minimum standard, right? Um, It's the bare minimum of what needs to be done in order to be legal, you know, under the eyes of the law. And, And I think CSP, especially CSP... It's more than that. It's 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 showing that you meet this high standard of knowledge and expertise and skill level. And so I don't know that you I think it would be problematic. That's just my personal opinion. And I don't necessarily uh, want to say that that reflects all that what the board members think. But I think that it, it would be problematic if we if if governments started requiring certain CS, you know, certain certifications. And who's to say it wouldn't happen in the future and maybe even internationally it might happen. But I think at this point, we're not there yet. The value is in the discussion and the background and context. Um, I think the point that comes out is it's really up to, like you said, the, there's lots of points. It's it's up to the company side. And, and I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. The challenge is if you think of like, uh, the, I was talking about this with somebody earlier today, the Jahari window where the four quadrants are, you both know something and you know something and they don't, and they know something you don't, and then you both don't know something. So in the case where they don't know what they might need for a certain level of safety, then it becomes a challenge to self-identify that. So that's pretty deep, <laughs> but, but, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's part of it. And, and the reason I bring the discussion up is because I don't know the answer either. And it's something we're grappling with, with combustible dust. Mm-hmm. about making those terms more specific then but but then what more specific to what right. and and whom gets to choose and what kind of bias might come in place when that person makes a choice and or those those that group makes a choice we'll say yeah it's kind of some interesting questions come up and i was wondering to what degree that had been established in a program that's much longer you know that's been around for for mm-hmm. 50 60 years now yeah, I think that we have try, avoided the the licensure road, and that just wasn't that didn't really fit what we wanted our certifications to be. Makes um, a lot of sense. So, and you know, uh, people come up to me all the time at conferences and meetings, and they say, you know, all these different designations and certifications and alphabet soup after my name. You know, what should I do? What should I do? And 
my answer is always, you have to decide. <laughs> it's your career. It's your life. These certifications belong to you. Even if your company pays for it and you know requires you to get it or encourages you to get it or doesn't encourage you to get it, it's up to you to decide what level of credentialing do I want to achieve in my life, in my career. And, and it really kind of depends on the job that you're in or the job that you want, what you what you aspire to be in the future. I think that, you know, all the different certifications that BCSP offers appeal to a certain group of people. And, and it really just depends on what, what you want for your, for your life. And I would think that, see, you know, we call CSP our gold standard. It's our, it's our highest certification that we have. It's recognized, most recognized by the industry. Uh, and so I think that when someone holds the CSP, that they, they have shown that they have this high level of, of knowledge and skill that covers actually a fairly wide uh, spectrum of topics within the safety within the safety industry. As all safety professionals say, when asked a hard question, the answer is it depends. Yep. Yeah, you got it. No, I, th I mean, we've covered everything from the requirements to how you go about meeting the requirements to how you learn about it to what might happen after you get the designations. It's been an extremely valuable discussion for me, Leslie, to just wrap my head around this. And now when somebody asks me, I can say, yep, <laughs> these are the things involved and this is where you go to learn more, which is something I just I couldn't say in the past. And that's one of the biggest benefits of having a podcast like this now going to our fifth year is when I don't know those answers, I can bring on somebody who really knows their stuff like yourself to, uh, to, to explain it to myself and explain it to the audience. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, any closing words for the audience? Anything you want to leave them off today or anything I didn't ask that, uh, that you want to make sure you get out there? I mean, I would just say that if there is someone listening and they are contemplating a certification, you know, the, your first place you want to go is the BCSP website, which is bcsp.org. We have all the different certifications and we outline the blueprints and the requirements for each one. We also have um, some other documents that kind of guide you in determining what would be the best certification for you. And then certainly you can always call our customer service line. We have the most amazing staff at BCSP. These people are so dedicated and so excellent in everything that they do that they always help you. And, and you can hear the smile on their face over the phone when you call. They're just delightful people to work with. And it's always, it's been in the six years that I've been on the board, it has been just my my blessing and my privilege to get to work with all of these folks. So I would say you, you'll never go wrong just calling and talking to the customer service rep. They will definitely steer you in the right direction. I would, I guess I would like to mention, we also have a BCSP foundation and this is our philanthropy arm. We uh, have funding for research. We give scholarships to students, do lots of things to help. We're trying to work with young people uh, for the next generation and filling the pipeline. So that's another piece of our organization that that's a good, good thing that we're trying to do to, to help the industry as well. And that's really all I can think of right now. Um, certainly anyone can reach out to me through LinkedIn and find me. My term as president ends the end of December 2022, but the, the incoming president is a gentleman by the name of Bruce Lyon, and he's a wonderful individual. He, he's going to do a fantastic job leading the organization. And so we're the future looks bright for safety professionals and for the BCSP as well. So it's exciting to be part of it for myself. Well, that's great. I may, we may, um, reach out to the to the new president in the future once he gets settled give him some time but an episode on the the bcsp foundation maybe would be kind of interesting mm -hmm. for the audience to see where where that value is being added in the world from this work and then you know like I said scholarships and that sort of stuff other things to help with the pipeline and if we can anyway get some of the people our audience that are coming in to understand how to get into safety and stay in safety um, once it's found them like you said you know, the, the better we can do that. So that's something we might be able to do in the future. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you, Leslie, so much. Thank you for your term and tenure <laughs> in, in VCSP. I didn't realize that we caught you 15 days before you're, you're, you're wrapping up, but yeah. um, I'm happy we did because this was a great discussion. So I, I can't say thank you enough and I do appreciate the, the work that you're doing. Oh, it's my pleasure. And anytime, you know, if there's anything we can do to help, just let us know. hundred percent. Well, thank you. And I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Okay.
So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Leslie Stockel, president of the Board of Safety Certified Safety Professionals, BCSP at bcsp.org. We've been talking through the range of certifications and designations available through BCSP. We talked about how it's a, a nonprofit certification body started back in 1969, really born out of the needs of industry to have a comprehensive approach to identify what kind of knowledge and understanding and skills might be needed for a safety professional in the type of industries that are served by those safety professionals. We talked a lot about the difference uh, between accreditation, non-accreditation, certificates versus certification, and really dove deep into the different certifications and designations available through BCPS, BCSP rather. So we have a number of links in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 208. The bcsp.org website is a really helpful resource here. The, the ones that I pulled out, the BCSP certificates at a glance, and we'll have links directly to that document. The CSP exam blueprint document, the CSP references document, that's like what textbooks and material the, the exam is based off of, those are really good resources to kind of understand what the options are, what the requirements are. We talked about the requirements for certified safety professional, minimum bachelor's degree in any field, uh, at least four years experience in the field, and then passing of the, the exam, which again is a five and a half an hour exam. So that's quite a, a, quite a bit of effort to, to put into that. We talked some of the, the roads, the paths you might take to do that through the ASP program, Associated Safety Professional through a Graduate Safety Practitioner, the GSP program with a university that's a qualified academic program, has a qualified academic program, and also the Transitional Safety Practitioner program. So that one was coming in from other organizations, say like military, that are providing the skill sets to map to blueprints that are available. It has been designated to be able to um, you know, send people through to the CSP program. So we talked through all those different options. We talked a bit, we went philosophical in some cases on, you know, the the need for this type of certification and what it means for involvement with industry, involvement with governments. Um, and my big takeaway, my big purpose for this interview was that you, the, the listener, if you are interested in this type of program, interested in this type of program, working with somebody who's been involved in this type of program or considering hiring somebody that's involved with this type of program or need somebody in your facility to cover safety, now you have a better understanding of all the different things that you might see that goes behind when you see a CSP or an ASP or an SMS or something behind somebody's name or if you want to go get those sort of credentials yourself. So I want to thank Leslie again for the work that she's done over the years with BCSP and at Oklahoma State University. Um, and I want to thank the Board of Certified Safety Professionals as well for the work that they do. And last and not least of all, I want to thank you, the listener, for listening to the podcast this week. Have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing in industry handling combustible dust, making it safer with the work that you're doing every day out there. 